Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever boasts the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All right, well, uh, a lot of you guys know this. Uh, before, uh, before I moved here to be your pastor, pastor, I was a pastor with college students back in the Chicago area, area at Northwestern, Northwestern University. I'm going to read you a letter that a student wrote home to their parents while they were at school, okay? Dear Mom and Dad, I'm so sorry for being so long in writing you. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dormitory was set on fire by the demonstrators. But I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say I should even be able to see again soon. The amazing boy Jim, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm is rebuilt. He quit high school after 11th grade to get married, but now that his divorce is final, we're free to get married instead. We're madly in love. In fact, since you've always wanted a grandchild, you'll be glad to know you'll be grandparents in several months as well. Hugs and kisses, your loving daughter. P.S. None of what I just wrote is true. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant, and I don't even have a steady boyfriend, but I did get a D in French, and I might need a little more money to get me through the semester. I just wanted to be sure that you received the news in the proper perspective. I love you both, your daughter. All right, so you may have guessed this is not actually a real letter. Uh, this is, uh, it, you've probably maybe even heard it before. I think it's one of those things that gets passed around and every pastor in America has used it at some point. So today was our day. Um, so the letter isn't real, but the point it makes is very real, all right? The right perspective is key to life. The right perspective centers us. The right perspective, it brings us back to reality, all right? The right perspective, it, it manages expectations, it helps us stay balanced, it, uh, it helps us interact with people in both truth and grace. Uh, the right perspective makes our lives better, richer, healthier in all kinds of ways. And so for that reason, having the right perspective in many ways, it's the key to happiness, it's the key to life. And today, James wants to help us get the right perspective, and not just about a D in French class, but about all of life, all right? So he asks this probing question, maybe you heard it, right in the middle of our passage, verse 14, he says, what is your life? I mean, what a question. What is your life? Have you asked that question before? Of course you have. All of us have asked this question before, but do you have a good answer for this question? What is your life? I've been turning the question over and over in my mind all week long, preparing for this sermon, and my wife Janet caught me like shuffling around the house in my slippers, mumbling to myself, what is your life? What is my life? And she's like, are you okay? Like, are we in some sort of a, a crisis here? You know, what's going on? Um, I've been asking everyone in the house, in the office, this question too. What's your life? Janet's from the, from the hip answer was, uh, my life is chaos. I think I caught her in a busy moment. Sammy, my eight-year-old, says, uh, I asked him, Sammy, what's your life? He goes, oh, man, 
there are so many things. <laughs> and so he starts to think about it. And then Liza, my three-year-old, chips in. And she says, my life is Play-Doh and jumping on the trampoline. Not a bad life right there. I had a shirt when I was a kid that said, soccer is life. The rest is just details. Big Nike sign, right? Is life a highway? Is it a box of chocolates? This has been answered in a lot of ways over the years. How do you answer this question? What is your life? Of all the questions you've got to answer, I'd say this one ranks right up there among the most important. You don't want to get a lot of things right and mess this one up, right? So Pastor James guides us to the right perspective about our lives, a, a perspective we need in order to live healthy, vibrant, meaningful lives. He gives two explicit answers, and then I think there's a third answer buried right under the surface in this passage as well. So we're going to look at James's three answers to this question what is your life? His first answer is in verse 14. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Of all the metaphors he could have chosen to describe your life, my life, James goes for the most fleeting. He goes for the, the quickest the, the, to evaporate, the thinnest, a wisp of fog on a lake, a, a cloud drifting by in the sky that's going to get burned off by the sun in a moment. Our life, he's saying, it's incredibly short. It's incredibly fragile. In the grand scheme of things, it's, it's insignificant. It's a mist that appears for a little moment and then is gone. And we think, come on, James. I mean, thanks for the pick-me-up this morning, right? Life's already a little bit uh, confusing and bleak these days. Could we have something a little more inspirational, maybe? Maybe. Or is there actually some deep wisdom in this perspective and even some surprising encouragement knowing that our lives are a mist? Because even on a, on a human level, just listening to those around us, we know this is right. I mean, to prove my case, what does every single empty nester say to every single parent with young kids 100% of the time? Enjoy it. It goes by so fast, right? And every single parent thinks, doesn't say this, but thinks, honestly, what I really could use half the time is a fast-forward button to make this go a little bit faster, and maybe I'd get some sleep. But it's interesting that everyone a little further down the road from us, no matter where we are on the road, sends the same message back down the line, don't they? It goes so fast. It goes so fast. The Bible agrees. Psalm 39, we read this prayer, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Is that a prayer that you pray most mornings? God, teach me how fleeting I am. Me either. He says, behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths. My, my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. This is exactly where James is getting his imagery from. We take a breath that disappears on a cold day. We're a handbreadth, just six inches across on a line that goes into eternity. He closes the psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I'm a sojourner with you. I'm a guest like all of my fathers. Okay, you and I, like everyone who came before us and who will come after us, we live in this world as guests, just traveling through just pilgrims on the way. And James wants this to be one of our primary metaphors for navigating life, the brevity, the, the impermanence of our current setup. 
Our life status is that we're just passing through, and it turns out the visit is actually very short. Okay, so what's the deep wisdom here? What's the actual surprising encouragement of this way to answer the question, what is your life? Well, part of the gift and the wisdom of living in this reality that our lives are fleeting and short, fragile things, is that the gravity of this world, its weight, starts to lose its power over us. And the gravity of heaven and eternity, it pulls even stronger on us, right? Our lives today, these bodies, this world, it's a mist. It's passing by. But resurrection life in Jesus is eternal and solid and strong and enduring. Resurrection life and our current life is the difference between Mount Everest and a little wisp of cloud that floats by it one afternoon times a trillion. Uh, So this perspective offers us this simple formula for life. It's simple. If it matters in eternity, it matters now. And if it doesn't matter in eternity, it just doesn't matter now. And that perspective actually brings great clarity and prioritization to our lives. It helps us decide where to invest time and money and energy and ambition. It, it brings freedom to our otherwise uncertain lives. For example, with this perspective in view, the opinions, the approvals and the criticisms of, of the other mists that are floating around us in our world, they just begin to lose their pull and their gravity and their weight. And the opinion of God who stands above and behind and below every cloud that passes by, that opinion grows in its gravity. This can be extremely freeing, all right? Freeing uh, us from the slavery to other people's opinions, from that performance perfection mentality. We're freed from that when we realize, hey, I'm just a mist. Everyone else whose opinion I care so much about, they are too. It frees us to follow God where he leads because it's only his approval that matters in the end. You're missed, so use your missed well, right? Uh, Use it to invest in eternity. Use it to let the gravity of heaven pull you closer to God. Use it to invest in the resurrection lives of other people. And it's exactly because it is so short and fleeting and going by faster than any of us realize that we have the freedom to just dump it all in the one bucket that matters, right? There's not much of it anyway, so don't spread it even thinner than it is. Put it all in the place where it matters in the kingdom of God and use it to cultivate a delight and a trust of the God who sustains our mist as long as it lasts, which is exactly what James tells us next, okay? So what is your life? It's a mist. Use it well. And all of it is owned by God. And I'm going I'm to read uh, most of the passage again here, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is it? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and we'll do this or that. Okay, if the Lord wills, we'll live. If the Lord doesn't will, we won't. If the Lord wills, we'll go and do this or that thing that we're planning to do. If the Lord doesn't will that for us, we won't go and do this or that thing we're planning to do. Proverbs 19 says, 
many are the plans in the mind of a man. All right, I, I have this rewritten in my office as many are the plans on Luke's whiteboard. But the purpose of the Lord, that's what stands. Right? Jeremiah 10 puts it like this. I know, O Lord, that the way of a man, it's not in himself, that it's not in man who walks to direct his steps. We don't have that power in ourselves. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. And when were our days written? When yet none of them were, right? As yet there were none of them. So before a single day of ours was written into the world, God had already written our entire story through our whole lives. Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. Here's the simple fact with incredibly profound implications. We don't own our own lives. We don't own our own lives. We don't own our time. God decides how many days we live, not us, and it's already been decided from before we were born. We don't own our plans. It's not in us to direct even our own steps. We have plans upon plans, but it's the purposes of God that stand in the end. We don't own our own bodies. He made us. We're his like an artist who crafts something beautiful and valuable, God made us for a reason, and we don't get the option of opting out of his intention for us. We don't get to make up our own life plan. I like how Rick Warren put it in The Purpose Driven Life. It's kind of a classic. In fact, I think it's sold like more copies than any book except the Bible or something like that. I mean, unbelievable. But uh, it's a good book. I recommend it. He writes this, You're not an accident. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He wanted you alive, and he created you for a purpose. Focusing on yourself will never reveal your true purpose. It can't be found there, right? You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. You don't own your own self. We don't even own our health and our existence. We're, we're alive right now. We're breathing. Our heart's beating because God's actively keeping us alive, sustaining our lives. He's not a toy maker who winds us up and kind of sets us loose in the world until we run out of momentum. And then it's like, oh, guess the time was up. His, his sustaining for us, it's much of our lives, it's much more intimate than that. He's beating our hearts now. He's keeping us alive now. It's a proactive gift from God. He gives us life. Here's the truth. We don't own our own selves. Our creator and our sustainer owns us. And every day, every moment, we're leasing that ownership from him. I mean, you guys know that expression, right? I got a new lease on life. We say it when we dodged a bullet. We say it when we walk out of a car crash. We say it when we beat cancer. But the Bible is saying it's literally true of us every hour of our lives. Every day we're alive, we're leasing someone else's property. It just happens to be ourselves. It just happens to be our lives. Life is short. We nod with James. We say, yep, it is. Treasure every moment. And then he says, and by the way, God owns every single second of that short life. Every dollar you make, every accomplishment you achieve, every decision you kick around, it's not ours. It's his. And then here's the kicker. God gives us an unbelievable amount of, dis of decision-making power and discretion over his 
resources, right? He owns us. He can do whatever he wants with, whatever he wants with us. But can you imagine any other boss letting his employees have as much leeway as God has given us? And we can do whatever we want, right? I mean, there's a few sort of like moral boundaries he asks us to stay within, but broadly speaking, it's like, do whatever you want in this world, right? Follow whatever dream, whatever vocation, live wherever you want. Um, can you imagine any investor giving their money manager as much discretionary decision-making as God gives us with the resources he gives us? He says, keep 90% of it, right? Like, keep 90% of your boss's money, do whatever you want. What, 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 what person does that? This is a, a life-changing perspective. And it's a perspective that makes sense of a passage that otherwise doesn't make, make much sense, all right? So we just read, James says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Okay, boasting is bad. We're in, we're in on that. We agree. Uh, so where was the boasting that James was just talking about? Well, we just read it in verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. That's it? Like that? Are we missing a verse? That was the boasting? That's as bad as it gets? That, is that supposed to be arrogant and evil? I mean, come on, James. Boasting is giving yourself your own nickname and deciding it should be like the special one or something. That's boasting, right? Um, boasting is declaring your own greatness. This is literally just making a basic life plan. We're moving to a new city. We're going to go for a year. We're going to see how the business is, and then we're going to reassess. It actually sounds kind of humble. We're not even presuming too much. We do this all the time, and James says it's boasting. Here's why. Because a life lived without reference to the one who owns it is not a humble life. It's an arrogant life. Decisions made by creatures without reference to their creator, as if they were our decisions alone to make, that's not normal, James says. That's evil. Planning, of course, is not bad. The Bible commends it all over the place. Ecclesiastes 3, Colossians 3, work hard because it's pleasing to God. Proverbs 6 even says, look at the ant, you lazy sluggards, get to work like that guy. That guy knows how to work. Like the Bible is for work. It's for planning. It's for ambition, creating, building something, creating wealth, all of that. But any of that without reference or acknowledgement or input, from the one who owns your life, it's not just foolish. It's arrogant, James says. It's practical atheism. It's living as if God doesn't even exist. And living as if God doesn't exist, it turns out, is not good for us in the long term, okay? Not good for us. So, just like we asked for James' answer to this question, what's my life? Um, his first answer to that question, we need to ask of this answer too. Why is this perspective such a good thing. Our life is short. It turns out that's very freeing and encouraging in the end. Our life is God's. Why is that good news? Being owned by somebody else. He owns our money, our time, our energy, our networks, our friendships, and it doesn't sound like great news at first. It sounds like even those little parts of my life that aren't already claimed by my job and my family and my responsibilities are now getting picked up by the big boss and now I don't own any part of my, my life, right? Like where's 
my free time? Where's my time? It sounds like I'm losing something by James saying God owns all of our lives. How is this good news exactly? Well, this is where I think right under the surface, James has one more answer for us. And it's an answer that is confirmed over and over again in the Bible. It's actually the center of Christianity. And like the other answers to this question, what is my life? It's very simple, but it's very profound. What is your life? It's short, it's God's, and lastly, it is a massive gift that's been given to you. Um, I I think this is actually summarized really beautifully in the first question um, and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism. Okay, so for those of you guys who don't know what this is, this is uh, written in 1563, old school, okay? And when the the rediscovery of the sheer grace of Jesus was sort of sweeping across Europe in the Reformation, this document was used as a way to reteach the gospel to one another in the church, okay? Um, And this is the very first question. This is how they start the re-education, the reintroduction of the gospel. What is your only comfort in life and death? Okay, so what is your life, right? What's the truth about your life that's not only reality, but it's good. It's not only true, but it's comforting. Here's the answer, that I am not my own. Wait, you're saying the most comforting thing I can believe in the entire world, the best news I can hear, is that I'm not my own? Yes, the ancient wisdom tells us this. Here's why. I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly, willingly, and ready from now on to live for him. That's a good answer to that question, right? I mean, this is dynamite for your spiritual life, If you grasp this and believe this, you are not your own, and that is the best news any of us can possibly hear. We're so small in the grand scheme of things. Our lives are so short and so fragile, but through it all, God cradles us in his hands. He creates us and crafts us and cares for us, forming our bodies and minds with individual attention. He saves us from our sin. We messed it up. It's our fault, but he re-enters our life to redeem us, fix us, restore us through his death and resurrection. He protects us. He walks with us through life. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Mists though we are. He provides all we have, everything we've been given, any job, home, family, friends, beauty, purpose, anything good in this world is a gift from the Father of all good gifts. And then he says he will make us whole. He will complete what he starts in us. Is your life short? Of course it is. That one we knew, right? That news has been trickling down the line for a lot of years now. We all know life is short. Um, Does your life belong to somebody else? The surprising answer in our culture of independence today is absolutely yes. Every minute of our lives belong to someone else. And yet, is the, is the one who owns you worth 
living for? Is he worth entrusting your life to? In Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is no doubt. A life hidden in Christ is safe. It's full. It's loved. And what greater comfort can there be than that? The eternal one owns you. He has placed his name on you, his care, his attention. Your life is not your own. And we all say, thank God. It's in much, much better hands than even our own hands. It's in the hands that already bear the mark of his love for you because of his crucifixion. They will, they will bear that mark into eternity because that's how much God values and loves you. Just a little mist passing through, but cared for and loved and saved by the eternal one himself. That's the gift. That's the gospel. Let's pray. God, thanks for this passage today. Uh, from James, I feel like I pray this every single week. He is just in your face, man, uh, calling it like it is. But it's so refreshing to hear the truth and to see a perspective that we miss so often. We think our lives are, are so much smaller than they are, but there's a bigger story going on, and it's a story of love and care and salvation from the God of everything, who cares for us and loves us and has died for us to bring us, in, bring us into his family and turn our mist into a solid reality into eternity. God, help us cast our whole lives on that grace. Help us receive this gift that we are not our own. Thank God that's the best news we could hear because it's Jesus who's caring for us and ushering us through life. Help us believe that this morning, Jesus. Amen.